Well, hello, my name is Zach. For those that don't know me, and last week we started looking at this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus is speaking to us about the way in which we build our lives, the, the lives that we lead, the people we become, the, the way we spend our time. And each week, if you're new with us, we, we gather around the teachings of Jesus and we seek to learn from them. We believe that these words uh, are relevant for today, that they're powerful, that they're good, that they bear good fruit in our lives, that they are the words of life. And so we're looking at this passage of scripture over the next several weeks and reflecting on what does this mean for us in 2018? What does this mean for your life and my life? What is Jesus talking to us about? Last week, we saw that the, the beginning of practicing the way of Jesus, the beginning of building your life in the way of Jesus is boiled down to one question. Will you receive the love that God has for you? It doesn't start with something to go out and do. It doesn't start with something to pray or read or give or serve. All those are good things. But the foundation we learned last week is God loves you like crazy. And will you receive his love? Wow, that's powerful. I've been thinking about it all week, asking myself, Zach, are you going to let your life be defined by the love of God? So good. Today, uh, what we're going to see is a number of uh, warnings, I guess, that Jesus gives us that we might all be prone to that could keep us from building that fruitful life, that strong house that survives the storm. So as we get going, I want to ask you a question. Uh, do you like to be deceived? Do you like to be deceived? Do you like to be tricked? Do you like to be lied to? As a parent, one of the most frustrating things as a parent is when your kids lie to you and you know that they're lying. It's just so frustrating. And I don't know that any of us like to enjoy, would say, man, I just love to be deceived. As I was looking at this kind of topic this week, I found some interesting scams, some interesting kind of deception stories that I think will make you laugh and be amazed. The first one that I want to tell you about happened in 1821. A Scottish gentleman by the name of Gregor McGregor, what a name, Gregor McGregor. Uh, he was from Scotland and he uh, convinced his countrymen that he had discovered a new nation in Central America called Poye and that he was the prince of this new nation and that they were selling land that you could buy land in Scotland, you could put some money down to buy land in this faraway country, this land of opportunity. And so he began selling this and receiving money, receiving people, putting in the kind of their down payments for this future home, this dreamland that they've heard of. He even organized a ship that deployed 250 people who'd put their money in to this country in Central America that was all made up. He completely made it up. It was completely a scam. So all these people who invested kind of their life savings, they're on the journey to this new land that go across the ocean in a boat, and they get there, and what they find is not a dream country. They find a jungle and no one there, and there's no settlement. There's no city. There's no place. It's just uninhabited jungle. Wow, huge deception. Uh, I'll give you another one. In 1925, I've noticed that deceptions... Uh, grow in strength over time. They get better. Uh, in 1925, there was a man named Victor Lustig who lived in France. And one day he was reading the newspaper and he saw that there was going to be repairs done on the Eiffel Tower. 
and an idea was sparked in his mind. He went through the process of faking becoming a government official, you know, made up some documents, uh, and put out an ad to scrap metal dealers in Paris, saying, you've probably heard about the, the Eiffel Tower. In fact, we've seen the repairs are so significant that we're just going to dismantle it. We're going to take it down. And I wanted to give your company, you scrap metal dealer, an opportunity to bid on having all the scrap metal from the Eiffel Tower as we dismantle it. Put, the, that, put this ad out. Different scrap metal dealers applied. We're very interested in kind of, well, man, this would be a big haul, right? He even, uh, Lustig, even convinced them to bribe him uh, to kind of move their, move their companies up in this imaginary uh, pecking order for the Eiffel Tower. In the end, he sold it to a gentleman. The gentleman figured out that the Eiffel Tower was not for sale, that it wasn't being dismantled, that he just spent all of this money, and he was so embarrassed that he didn't press charges. He just disappeared because he was like, I don't want anyone to know that I fell for the scam. So guess what? Lustig did it again two years later to someone else. Unbelievable. Two times trick people into thinking they're buying the Eiffel Tower for scrap metal. Uh, yeah, <laughs> amazing. Last one that I want to share with you uh, is, a, is a gentleman named Emmanuel Nwude. He's from Nigeria. And uh, in 1995, so fast forward to, to, I guess, 20 or so years ago, he sold a fake airport to a major international bank for $242 million, and no one discovered it until three years later. Like, he got away with it for three years. I mean, just imagine, he calls up some bank, hey, I want to sell you an airport. They buy into it $242 million later and three years, and they realize, oh, there's no airport here. What a, what a scam. And I feel like they get better, like, over time, they get more deceptive. I get this scam. I don't know if you get it. It would make me feel better if you did. These phone calls. And I got one uh, recently that was the first time I heard it, it just terrified me. They said, this is the IRS. Oh, y'all know. Y'all are on that same auto dial. If, you, if you're not there, I'll just tell you what they say. This is the IRS. There are big problems with your taxes. We found you out. In fact, we're getting ready to come after you, and it is going to be loads of trouble for you and your family, and, and you need to call us right now. And I, I, if, if I don't know the number on my phone, I just let it go to voicemail. Uh, and so <clears throat> I didn't know the number that called, but I got the little voicemail transcription thing that T-Mobile does. And, and, and I read it, and my stomach just, you know, just dropped. And you start feeling nauseated. I'm sweating. I mean, the last thing you want, at least I'm like, man, I don't want to be in trouble with the IRS. TurboTax, you have failed me. <laughs> so nervous. So I'm trying to figure out what to do, and I just have the off thought. I, I don't know why. I was just like, I'm just going to Google this number. Just, just Google it. Put it in Google. Like every result is scam, 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 scam. Amazing. So somebody is pretending like they're the IRS, and now they call me so often. I never answer, but they call me more often than my parents call me. Like it's like a message every week. They're telling me it's crazy, right? You probably have experienced the same thing. We hate being scammed. We hate being deceived. We hate being taken kind of for, especially when it involves our hard-earned money, like money that you've worked hard to do. Can you imagine saving up your life savings to kind of buy your dream home only to find out it was all a scam? 
Amazing. Uh, you're a business person. You're, you're working hard. You hear about this business deal, right? You put all your money into it. It's a scam. You're, you're a, a banker. You get a phone call. You think, man, I've got, uh, this is a good purchase. You do your due diligence. You buy. And then three years later, you find out it was a fraud. You, you get the call from the IRS. You don't Google it. And you actually call and get involved in whatever their scheme is. Terrible, right? Terrible. And that's with our hard-earned finances. Jesus in this passage uh, is warning us about scams that are even more painful than losing money. These are scams that can cost us our character. These are scams that can cost us our relationships. These are scams that can waste our lives, deceptions that we can believe that will end up destroying us. And I want to make sure that you see these. I I believe that Jesus wants you to see these because he loves you. And he doesn't want you to be scammed. He doesn't want you to be deceived. He wants you to see these before they're coming. So let's look at the passage again. We're going to read it through together to make sure we're wrapping our brains around it. And then we're going to study each line and see five different deceptions that this warns us about. Jesus speaking, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Remember, he's speaking to his disciples. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So take note of the first sentence, verse 46. Jesus starts out, he's closing this uh, this famous sermon, and he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You guys know that to call someone Lord means to pledge your allegiance to them. To say, you're the king, you're the boss, you're the one in control, you're the big deal, you are Lord. And if you've lived any amount of time, you know that whether people are religious or not, everyone on the whole planet serves some Lord. Everyone has a Lord. Everyone has something or someone that they've pledged allegiance to that they're spending their life in service of. It could be a particular religion. It could be a political philosophy. It could be a certain job. It could be a certain relationship. It could be your kids. It could be your uh, major. It could be your fraternity or sorority. It could be any number of things. We're amazing. We have an incredible talent for making up different things that we can spend our lives in service of, dreams that we can chase. For many, the Lord, Lord in our lives is ourselves, that we spend our lives serving us. There's actually a John Lennon song that says, serve yourself, uh, talking about just, just you do you, right? What Jesus is talking about here, though, are people, much like you and me, who have said, I'm not the Lord of my life. 
I'm not following Caesar as Lord. I'm not following this job as Lord. I'm not following my kids as Lord. I'm not following money as Lord or comfort as Lord. I'm following Jesus as Lord. They've made this proclamation. They've made this. They've pledged allegiance to the, to the lamb, not the flag, to the lamb, to Jesus, right? And yet their lives resound with a different story or they tell the story of a different Lord. There's dissonance here. There's a gap here. There's, a, there, there, there's, there's space here between what is professed and is doctrinally true and what people are actually experiencing and living for and living about in their daily lives. I watched this movie, I think it's called Bridge of Spies with Tom Hanks. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but it's like a spy movie. I'm a sucker for spy movies. And in there, right, they have people who are pledging their allegiance to America. But in reality, they're spies. They're serving Russia. And they have people who are pledging their allegiance to Russia. But in reality, they're serving America, right? There's a duplicity there. Jesus is saying amongst his people, amongst his disciples, there's the same type of thing going on. That there are fake disciples, There are disciples who say Jesus is Lord, but with their lives, they're serving a very different master. Fake disciples. That's the first deception that Jesus wants to warn us about. If you put yourself in the crowd that day and Jesus begins to talk about fake disciples, your first reaction is kind of look over your right shoulder, your left. Like, who's he talking about here? Oh, He must be talking about that guy over there. You know, you start thinking about these fake disciples. And this deception is not just kind of a neutral kind of thing in life. Jesus is very specific over and over and over again. The scriptures do as well of warning people of the danger of fake disciples. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking about the same thing. And he uses an illustration or an analogy or a word picture you've probably heard before, right? Talking about these fake disciples. Matthew 7, verse 15. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So now when he's talking about prophets, is he meaning like psychics, like down the road? Does he mean people that predict the future? I mean, that might include what he's talking about, but he's talking specifically about leaders amongst the people of God who are saying, this is the right way. This is the good way. This is the way to go. But they're not real. They're not legit. They're not true. They're fakes. He's saying they look like sheep, like a symbol used to describe Jesus, a symbol the Bible uses to describe the people of God. They're in sheep's clothing. They look like a sheep. They smell like a sheep. If you brushed up against them, you'd think they were a sheep. But on the inside, they're of a very different nature. They're ferocious wolves. So just imagine for me, if you'll dream with me for a moment, imagine a wolf sneaking into a sheep pen clothed as a wolf, I mean clothed as a sheep, gets by the shepherd, and now is among the sheep. You get the idea of what would happen, right? The sheep would be destroyed. Jesus is warning his people, be on guard against fake disciples who may look like a sheep, talk like a sheep, may say Jesus is Lord, may have right doctrine, but inside who they are, 
is a ferocious wolf that will seek to destroy you and me. Have you ever met a fake disciple? There might be you. You you might be the fake disciple Jesus is talking about. I remember the first time that I met a fake disciple that was like this. I'll never forget it. I was a freshman in college, 18, 19 years old, you know, and I'm I'm, I'm in school. I'm not really a church guy, but I'm trying to make friends. I'm trying to break into this new school. So I get the idea. You know, I've gone to the fraternity rushes. I've gone to the, you know, different campus events. I'll try going to a church. I looked up churches, uh, found one near me, dressed up, showed up on Sunday, probably the earliest I'd woken up on the weekend in a long time. And I show up for church, and it's fine. I don't remember anything about it. I do remember that they said, hey, if you're new here, fill out a card. So I filled out a card because I guess I'm, I'm trying to meet people, right? And it started out well. They sent a couple of grandmothers to my dorm room with cookies, homemade cookies. I was like, this is awesome. I, I love this. And then I got a phone call from someone who said that he went to that church and he was kind of their volunteer. He would follow up with college students in particular just to try and make them feel welcome. And he's like, I, I love to take college students out to, to dinner. I love to take you out to dinner to this certain restaurant. It was a very cool, uh, very cool restaurant, like the kind that as a freshman you, you can't afford unless you have a date and you're really trying to impress someone, right? It was, it was a nice restaurant. So I'm like, Great, I could use a meal that's not dorm food. That sounds good. So I go to this deal, and we're talking, and he, he, the guy's paying for dinner. I'm like, this is really nice. I saw the price tag. I'm like, wow. And he's talking to me, and I realize as the conversation unfolds that, that he may say he's with a welcoming committee, but what he was propositioning me to go with him to do uh, was, was um, yeah, really dark. And I'm 18, I'm 19, I don't know this guy, I'm in a new school, this is in the first couple months, but warning signs start going on in my mind, like, get out of here, get out of here. This is not what it seems. I, I, in the dinner, I'm out, see you later, guy tries to call me and call me, never answer, never go back to that church. I met a wolf in sheep's clothing, a fake disciple who had very different intentions for my life than what he was saying. Jesus wants to warn you about fake disciples. Now, there's a second deception that we can fall prone to, uh, which is that of self-deception. We can deceive ourselves. And the second place where Jesus uses this same word picture talking about fake disciples who say, Lord, Lord, but do something different, right? He, he's talking about that. Just imagine again, you're sitting around with the disciples. You start looking around. Who's he talking about? Oh, it must be that guy over there. And then you get the, the sinking feeling. He might be talking about you. Like maybe you're not a real disciple. In Matthew 7, he kind of elaborates on this same line of thought. Matthew 7, 21 to 23 He says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So again, you've got the profession of allegiance to Jesus. He says, they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So again, get the picture here. These are people, right theology, Jesus, your Lord. They'd done many things for God. They had moved in the power of God. They'd prophesied, they'd seen healings, they'd cast out demons, they'd helped people. And yet, they're fake. They're fake. Jesus is like, no, no, no. I don't even know you. You, the, The story of your life, the way you've lived your life, doesn't testify to me being Lord. You've practiced lawlessness, meaning no one can tell me what to do. I'm going to lead my own life. You're a fake disciple. What's scary, though, and what should stop all of us in our tracks is these people seem woefully unaware that they're really fake. Wolves in sheep's clothing know that they're wolves. These disciples or pseudo-disciples, no idea. They thought, yeah, I'm good. I got peace with God. I'm good. I, I, I've gone to this church. Uh, I've, I've gone on this mission trip. I, I've served on this team. I, I've done this and this and this and this and this. Yeah, I'm a disciple. I've said the right things. But on the inside, they're very far from that being the reality of their lives. I have been one of these disciples. I remember the same story, freshman year, and uh, one of the first days of school, somebody comes knocking on my door from a student organization, and I lived in a dorm with a 1,000 freshmen all the way up, 10 stories high. And this guy, God bless him, was going around knocking on every freshman door and was sharing the gospel with people. It's amazing. He he comes to my door. I'm not a particularly religious guy, you know, but I'm, I'm... Freshman, and I'm lonely, so I'm like, upperclassman, come and talk to me? Sure, come on in. And he starts to share the gospel with me. He starts to share kind of uh, these four spiritual laws, he, he called it. And I remember telling him, I was like, yeah, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. I believe those things. And he kind of grilled me a little bit, asked me some probing questions. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm good, man, I got it. I got it, I'm good. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I've decided now, you, you are good. You got it, Right? Oh, great. Uh, I had a suite mate in my dorm later, maybe, maybe uh, not much time later. Um, I was trying to go, again, trying to meet people. I was going to go to this student organization, uh, Christian student organization barbecue they were having, flyers up all around campus. And my suite mate heard I was going. He said, why are you going to that? Like, why are you doing something Christian? Like, I've seen your life. I've seen what you're about. I've seen what you talk about, what you think about, what you do, all these things. Why are you going over there? You're not one of those people. And I was kind of offended. I was like, who are you to tell me anything? But it shook me. And I was like, this guy's right. I'm a fake disciple. I may say the right thing. Man, it's not a reality in my life. I was deceived. I was self-deceived. It wasn't the the wolf in sheep's clothing at that church or this church. It was me. And Jesus wants us to be aware that we can deceive ourselves. (laughs) Wow. Are you deceived? Are you deceiving yourself? Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're like, man, this is awesome. Jesus is calling out all those fake Christians. I've been telling everybody. He sees it too. I like that guy. Right? 
People may deceive uh, other people that may act a certain way, but Jesus is the real deal, and he's calling people out. I like that guy. You should like that guy. He's awesome. If you are a Christian, right, you hear this, everyone in the room, you should be having a thought, am, am I a fake disciple? Like, if you're not having that thought, you, you should be very concerned for yourself, right? This should put humility in us of like, oh. 1 Corinthians tells us, counsels us, all of us in first, or 2 Corinthians 13, uh, says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So we're to test ourselves. Are you a fake disciple who maybe has said the right thing, but if you're honest... Man, your life is telling a completely different story. Test yourself. If that's you, Jesus is not pointing this out to condemn you. He's pointing this out to heal you. Not to mark you out, but to bring you in. So this is grace. This is a gift of grace. Like, okay, God, show me. And if you're a fake disciple, it doesn't matter what church you grew up in. It doesn't matter what your family did. It doesn't matter what mission trips you went on or, or what you were like in youth group. If you don't know Jesus and Jesus doesn't know you, and if you're not real and saying, yeah, I, I actually, I am in Christ, not because of what I've done, but because of what he did. He's the one that saved me. He's the one that brought me in. He's the one that made me new. That's how you know you're in Christ, right? It's not you're bringing out your resume, but you're bringing out his and you've slowed down enough to be like, yes, and now I'm pledging allegiance to the Lamb, to Jesus. I, I, I'm repenting of pledging allegiance to myself. I led my life for so many years. And shortly after these freshman year encounters, uh, I became a genuine disciple. And I realized, I was like, I'm sick and tired of leading my own life. I'm doing a terrible job. And so I changed allegiances. I repented of pledging allegiance to myself and saying, Jesus, I want you to lead my life. You're much more qualified to lead my life than I am. I want to be your disciple. Has that happened to you? Have you come to the end of yourself? Have you changed allegiances? Now, there's an equal kind of swing that, that I imagine many of us are going to right now that, that I want to point out. And this is a nuanced thing. Right? We love kind of Twitter sound bites. Very simple, very black and white. So much stuff in life is way more nuanced than we'll give it time for. And this is one of those nuanced things. Let me see if I can explain it to you. There is um, the opposite swing of I'm self-deceived. I think I'm good, but I'm not, is I'm a hopeless hypocrite. I am that fake disciple. I'll never change. I, I'm kind of beyond the grace of God. I'm such a fake, I'm such a fraud, I'm such a, you know, trash, I'm this, I'm that, I'm hopeless. Like, right, you can have that swing. You might be having that in your mind right now. I call it the hopeless hypocrite swing. What I want to point out to you and what's important for you to understand is that people can do the same actions but be motivated, be influenced, be on very different trajectories in life. And that matters. Example, I have a 10-month-old little baby who is learning to pull himself up. 
pull himself up on the coffee table. He gets so proud. He takes one hand off the coffee table, looks around to see who's looking at him, that he is standing up. He's very proud. He falls a lot. He falls all the time. I am a 38-year-old man. If I start falling a lot, if you're my friend, you would say, hey, I think that you need to go to the doctor. There might be something wrong here, right? You would be worried about my health. You would be worried about some sort of disease that I might have. When my 10-month-old falls a lot, same action, standing, falling, same action, you don't say that. You say, that's awesome. He's learning to stand. And you know that over time, he's going to master that. And he's going to grow. And what defines him is not that he falls over and over and over again, but you realize he's in a growth process. So many of us, we're in a growth process with Jesus. We're not hopeless hypocrites. You're not a sinner who struggles to love God. You're a lover of God who struggles with sin. Very, very different. And it's nuanced. And so you're going to have to pray and you're going to have to process and you're going to have to talk and you're going to have to think. And, And don't let the devil come and tell you, condemn you with something that you're not. Okay? So that's, that's just going to take some thought this week, some prayer for you. I want to turn to the next um, line in this passage. Luke 6, 49, Jesus says, But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped one. Let me go back. So this is the one that I want you to see is when Jesus is talking about building your life on his teaching. What that's like. Pull it up. But everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house. Note that word, building. That's in process. That's in progress. That's not completed. Jesus is not condemning them that their house is not built. That's someone in the process. Jesus is Lord. I'm trying to take his way. I'm trying to practice it. I'm not... There yet, I've got a lot of areas where I need to grow, but I'm building my house. You get the idea? Not a hopeless hypocrite, not a fake disciple, just immature, needing to grow. And just like my son, that's okay. That's life. Building the house, dug down deep, laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. So when we take the teachings of Jesus and we begin to practice them, What Jesus is saying is you are building your life and the life that you are building is going to be marked by depth, right? He's digging deep, the foundation. There's going to be a solidity to who you are, a strong foundation. There's going to be a solidity to the life that you're building, your character, because it's not going to get blown around and knocked over by storms. Storms may come. Life may not work out like you want it to work out. Things are not just going to go, man, everything is awesome. That's not how life works. But you are going to build a house with your life and Jesus is going to help you. That's going to be a house that lasts, that endures, that marks with wisdom and goodness and strength. When we put his words into practice, he wants us to see that. Now, why, when we look at the last portion of this, the person who hears the words but does not put them into practice, why would someone believe Jesus is Lord but not put his words into practice. Why do you think that is? 
Why do you think someone would, would do that? I want to give you my thought that I think is the next deception that when you read the Bible, you see people falling prone to it over and over and over again. And that's the deception that God is not good and his ways are not good. So Jesus is Lord on Sunday. I'll sing the song. I believe that generally, but in my industry, that's just not the way things work. In my fraternity, that's not the way things work. In my marriage, that's not the way things work. In my parenting, that's not the way things work. In my city, that's not the way things work, right? And that's for yesteryear. That's outdated. That's, that's, man, maybe it works on Sunday morning, but, but if we're real, I need to build my life a different way. This is what mankind has struggled with since the beginning, Adam and Eve, right? God, we actually think our way would be better. So we're gonna, yeah, you're, you're God, but I'm gonna build over here. We can be deceived, this is a deception. The reason I want you to see this, Jesus is not saying your house is going to fall apart because he's an angry toddler that if you don't play by his rules, he's going to come kick your house over or take his ball and go home. That's not who Jesus is. The thrust of this story is not God's going to get mad at you if you don't do the right thing and boom, your life is gone. No, that's not who God is. God is not a killjoy. He's a giver of joy. Jesus is trying not to save us from kind of him flying off the handle. He's trying to save us from ourselves. Right? Yeah, God, okay, but I'm going to do things my way. And so I'm going to build this house, and I don't really need a foundation. I, I, I can do this. I, I watch a YouTube video. I got this, right? <laughs> Jesus is trying to save us from ourselves. The house that he has for us, the life that he has for us is not one where we're held back from the best things in life, but he wants to release us into the best things in life. He wants to save us from all the ways that we would destroy ourselves, chase empty houses, chase empty lords that don't offer us freedom, but enslave us. And he wants to build a life for us that's marked by goodness, strength, solidity. We can not believe Jesus is good and his ways are good. So we cannot take him up on his offer. I remember uh, several years ago, there was a, a guy that Christine and I had helped lead to the Lord. And he was beginning to walk with Jesus. And uh, he was in a new relationship, a dating relationship. And for the first time, he's a grown man for the first time. Uh, he was saying, I want to try and put God first. Because I'm a disciple of Jesus, I want to do my relationships a new way. Right? The relationships he'd had had been in the way of the world, right? Which was marked by a very different philosophy than the way of Jesus. And so he's reading this book about Christian sexual ethic and how that works out in a relationship. And we're sitting, having dinner, and he's telling me about it. And he's like, you know, um, I don't know if I just didn't pay attention or if I didn't want to pay attention about what Jesus said about sex and sexuality. I, I think I might have just blocked that out because I just wanted to, I thought the other way would be better. But what I'm realizing is that what Jesus has for me is he's saying sex is not a cheap thing. It's a very valuable thing. And like any valuable thing, any beautiful thing, you don't put it out on your curb just for anyone to come by and partake of. You protect that thing. Your valuables probably are locked up somewhere, right? And you only bring it out at the right time, in the right place. So my buddy was seeing, wow, the lie that I believed that the good life, that the full life would be to just kind of express my sexuality everywhere actually left me broken and left a lot of painful relationships behind me. 
And what Jesus has for me is actually wanting me to guard over this gift of sex and sexuality and to bring it out in the setting where it will bear the best fruit. He's like, this is amazing. He got, he, he got it. God wasn't holding out on him. God was trying to help him, lead him in the way of life. Are you buying into the lie today that God is not good and his ways are not good? In 2018, in your world, are you buying into that lie? The next deception that we can see, let me pull it up, is the deception that we can build this type of life without practice. Jesus said in this passage, look in verse uh, 47 and 48. I'm sorry, in verse 49. Jesus said that it was the person who took his words and put them into practice was the one who was building his house in the way of Jesus, was the one who was building her house in the way of Jesus. So we can buy into the lie that, yeah, I will build that type of house with no practice. When I was a kid, I wanted to take piano. I saw my buddy he was really good at piano. I went to one of his concerts or performances. There were all these people there, and they were cheering for him, and he was playing like Mozart. I was like, Mom, I want to take piano. I'd be like that guy. I want to have people cheer for me. I'm going to play something awesome. This is great. So my parents were like, okay, well, we'll get you piano lessons. So like, cool. So I went to my first lesson, and, and, and harsh surprise, uh, they didn't start me out on Mozart. <laughs> they started me out on like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And, it, and I was going to have to practice. He told me I had to practice 30 minutes a day. I was like, oh, my goodness. You've got to be kidding me. And they gave me this little thing called a metronome that kept you on beat. Anybody know the metronome? Y'all took some piano lessons. Right? And you're supposed to sit there and listen to that thing. Tick, tock. So boring. Tick, tock. And play. So I hated this. I wasn't going to practice. So what I'd do is I would wait until right before the lesson, 15 minutes before. Man, I better bust that out. I'm going to try and... I don't want to go. I go to a lesson totally unprepared, hadn't practiced at all. I'm frustrated because I can't even play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. My teacher is frustrated because he's like, I told you to practice. You don't practice. Just practice and you'll get better. My parents are frustrated because, like, we're putting money into this and you're not doing anything with it. I thought I could get good at piano without practice to become good, to, to build this skill. I was going to need to put in a lot of practice in the little things in a consistent way. Couldn't be crammed in overnight. Should be consistent over time. In your relationship with Jesus, in your discipleship to Jesus, are you putting his words into practice? Are you being deceived that, yeah, I'll build my house his way with no practice? with no kind of, let me look at my life. Let me look, what are my holy habits? What are the things that I'm incorporating in my life that are going to help me build in the way of Jesus? Next week, I'm going to give you six of those habits. So come back next week to learn that. We're going to close right now and invite you to stand.
specifically, we're going to pray that God would help all of us not be deceived, that we'd see clearly. Jesus wants you to see clearly. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're, you're not a disciple, or maybe you're like, man, I have been a fake disciple. Man, today's the day. Start a new way. God wants to save you from yourself, save you from your sin, save you from the lies that you believe. If that's you, we're going to have prayer ministry, our prayer and prophetic team up here in just a few moments after the service. I'd love for you to come forward and let someone pray with you and help you begin this new life. Uh, be the best decision that you will ever make in your whole life. And if you're here today and you're feeling like you're a hopeless hypocrite, we want to pray. We want to minister to you because God wants to speak a different word over your life, that you're not a sinner who struggles to love God, but you're a lover of God who struggles with sin. That will change your life as well. A few other words. Uh, if you're, and I guess everyone's going to look around on this one. If you're wearing a magenta colored shirt, I don't know what magenta colored is, but you, you probably do. God's calling you into a new season marked by your own spiritual renewal. Wow. Uh, second, lighthouse. God is calling someone to be a lighthouse to help others on the edge of shipwreck. We want to pray for anyone called to a counseling ministry or you just have a gift of helping others with recovery. And then last, a picture of harvest. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. We don't pray for anyone who feels like they haven't been able to see the harvest that Jesus sees. He wants to give you spiritual eyes to see. Those are all from our prophetic team who God wants to minister. So I want to pray for you. And then if I could have our team come forward, if you need prayer, uh, we'll do that after the service. Jesus, uh, thank you that you love us so much that you don't want us to be deceived. I pray for every person here, Lord, that today that they have eyes to see truly who you are. They see truly who they're called to be. They'd see the hope of their calling, Lord. And I pray that we would gain sensitivity to lies that we have lived in and have become so familiar to us, they feel like our mother tongue, Lord. But you put a new spirit inside of us, a new way, a new hope, a new vision, Lord. And I pray for all of us that we be a community that practices the way of Jesus together here in Dallas. In Jesus' name, amen.